Okay, please keep um, John 10, 1 to 10 before you. What is the thing where you think, if only I had X, then I would be living life to the full? How would you end that sentence? If only I had dot, dot, dot. For me, uh, it's often, not always, often been the yearning to escape the cities that I've spent my entire life in. It's, it's been that sort of yearning to live in a pretty village and beautiful countryside to escape the ugliness and the claustrophobia of bricks and tarmac and concrete. And it's been um, what's probably a totally over-romanticised illusion. Um, living in a community where there are sort of more traditional values, a slower pace of life, closer relationships, the kind of place where people stop in the street to talk, where they go for a quiet pint in the village at the end of the day at the pub. In my idealistic mind, I feel like I would fit so much better and I would feel so much more at home in such a place. What is it for you? What is the thing where you think, if only I had X, I would be living life to the full? Well, here in John 10, Jesus says that he is the only way into fullness of life. He is the gateway. There is no other. So we're going to explore what he means by that. Firstly, it's, it's important for us to remember who Jesus is talking to. The reason this uh, Nama read the end of chapter 9 for us is because the scene hasn't changed as we go into chapter 10. Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees just after they threw a man out of the synagogue, a man who had been born blind but who Jesus healed. And they threw him out simply for believing that Jesus was from God. And now Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees claimed to be spiritual guides for the Jewish people. But in chapter 10, Jesus effectively calls them thieves and robbers in verse 1. They failed to lead God's people into life because they've rejected Jesus. And they've mistreated those who follow him, like this blind man. They are blind guides. And their failure to understand Jesus in verse 6 of chapter 10 suggests that they're not part of God's true people. Otherwise, they would more easily hear and understand his voice. Jesus sets himself up in contrast to the Pharisees. In verses 1 to 5, he draws on passages like Psalm 23, which we read earlier, and Ezekiel chapter 34, to suggest that he, Jesus, is the promised shepherd who will rescue God's flock, his people, from their abusers, from the bad shepherds who oppress them. Jesus will bring them healing, and he will bring them back to this place where they will dwell in safety and abundance. Jesus sets up three images in these verses. In verses 1 to 2, there's the image of the true shepherd in contrast to the thieves. In verses 2 to 3, it's the gate as the only legitimate way in. And in verses 3 to 5, it's the image of the sheep responding to the shepherd's voice. That's what draws them. And Jesus unpacks these three images through the rest of chapter 10. And we're going to look at the first one he comes to, the gate. 
Jesus is the gate. That is, he's the only legitimate way for the sheep to enter salvation. Do you see that in verse 9? But what does he save the sheep from? In the immediate context, he saves God's people from false shepherds like the Pharisees. In the wider context of John's Gospel, especially in light of uh, chapter 3 and verses 15 to 21, and the end of chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus saves them from the wrath of God, which lies upon the human race because of our evil deeds. The word that we translate saves can also mean healed. So maybe there is a suggestion that Jesus is the one through whom God's people find healing from the abuse and the exploitation that they've suffered at the hands of false shepherds. Jesus is the only gateway or door from exploitation and from condemnation into life. But it's not just any old life. In verse 10, Jesus is the gateway into life to the full. Jesus offers us abundant life, the best life. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I hear the phrase life to the full, I instinctively think of lots of ways people in the world around me define that. Maybe you can think of certain people or movements that claim to offer that. For a few of us, that maybe there is a possibility that we've heard this from prosperity gospel teachers. Those who ignore what the Bible says about suffering and persecution for, for followers of Jesus, who make empty promises about health and wealth now, if only we will give money to their ministries and have enough faith, well, actually, they only enrich themselves. Probably more likely for many of us, it's similar promises, but from secular society. I think the promise of comfort is particularly seductive. We're encouraged to believe that we will have life to the full once there is no more discomfort or awkwardness or sacrifice in our lives. And so if you don't feel comfortable in your own skin, you can change it to suit your self-perception or the image that you want to project to society. If you don't feel comfortable with your standard of living, well, you should just get a better career, shouldn't you? Or maybe not have kids, and you can forget about giving to the church and other good courses. This is my take on society speaking, by the way. This is not me speaking. <laughs> and if you don't feel comfortable among your peers, if your views or your tastes don't fit in with the in-crowd, you should change your views. You should become more progressive so that you don't stand out. Perhaps for some of us, these seductive voices come from inside the institutional church. From those who teach that you don't have to stand out. You don't have to feel uncomfortable society. Because Jesus affirms you and your desires exactly as you are. Including your sexual desires, your relational choices. And your own sense of what's good for you. Some in the church teach this while quietly ignoring what Jesus says about denying ourselves and taking up our cross to follow him. There are lots of ways that the world offers life to the full. And there are lots of bad shepherds out there. But in John's Gospel, fullness of life isn't primarily about any of those things that we've just mentioned. Of course, the Bible does promise a time when God's people will enjoy Material abundance and peace and safety. 
and in bodies that are healed and made new in a place that we no longer feel like we're out of place, a place where we're at home. And some of these things are promised in the very same verses of Ezekiel 34, where Jesus is drawing his shepherd imagery from. But although we might get a little foretaste of those things now, those promises won't be completely fulfilled until the new creation. So what is life to the full? Well, I think in John's Gospel, if if we were to go to chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that we know God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who he has sent. At heart, eternal life, which I take it includes life to the full, is less about our current material situation and much more about relationship. Life to the full is found in relationship with God. And that's something which starts the very first day we come to Jesus as our Lord. And it never ends. Life to the full is knowing the Father and the Son and enjoying intimate communion with them by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just about quantity of life, about a life that goes on forever. It's about quality of life in a relationship that grows ever more intimate as we continue to discover new and endless depths to the awesomeness, the beauty, the grace, the compassion, the justice, the generosity, and the mercy of our eternal, infinite Heavenly Father. We are made to be relational beings. And so relationships are perhaps the single most important thing that make for quality of life. I found this in a a small way working as a tax advisor, oddly. (laughs) A job that was often uninspiring and tedious was made bearable and sometimes enjoyable because I had good colleagues. And this, this sort of primacy of relationships is one of the things that makes lockdown so hard because we're cut off from the people that nourish us. Quality of life is found principally in relationships. And life to the full is found in the most intimate relationship of all. And Jesus is the only gateway to it. In John's Gospel, it is through that relationship with Jesus that we find freedom from slavery to sin. It's relationship with Jesus that frees us from a power inside of us and a devil outside of us, which neither know nor want what is truly good for us. Relationship with Jesus changes our desires so that we're increasingly repelled by the things that harm us. And this is because we increasingly find that Jesus, as the bread of life and the water of life, is truly satisfying, trustworthy and faithful. We used to hate his light because, as as John says in chapter 3, it exposed our sin and it threatened us with God's wrath. And we deeply resented that because of the deep-seated antipathy to God, that mistrust of God that was in our hearts. But now we increasingly want to follow Jesus and to walk in his ways in the sight of a God who loves us as his dear children. And that's all because Jesus wins us over with his kindness and his tenderness in relationship. 
I've experienced this during past struggles with doubt about the truthfulness of Christianity. There were times when I wasn't sure if the Bible was true. But the thing was, I desperately wanted it to be true. As I looked at our society and the way it's tearing itself apart and becoming ever more broken and divided and depressed, despite claiming to be so loving and inclusive, I would despair of finding hope there. But in contrast, I've known nothing but kindness, contentment and security in following Jesus in spite of and through the trials and the suffering. In some ways, it's it's actually quite hard to describe what life to the full in Jesus feels like. I was chatting about this with someone from church earlier this week, and we we couldn't quite find the right word for it. But we did agree that the longer you walk with Jesus, and especially as you go through trials with him, there is this in the core of your being that however this life gets now, in Christ you have something that is too good to throw away. Jesus gives us this precious something as the foundation of our lives. The Apostle Paul calls this joy, but it's not joy in the kind of happy clappy sense we might often think of. There is a hopeful element to it. There is a security in it. There is a contentedness in it. And there is a warmth of love for our Saviour. But there doesn't seem to be any one word that I can think of in our language today that nails it. Life to the full is something we need to experience as much as we need to define it intellectually. And we can only experience it as we listen to Jesus' voice through his word through the Bible. I think there are probably all sorts of areas of life where we could apply this. And as long as we remain in these bodies battling the sin that remains in us, we're going to struggle with contentment. We're going to struggle to feel like we have life to the full. We're going to keep trying to find that fullness of life in other things. Single people will find a very powerful pull from secular society and even from false shepherds in the church, who say that we must be in a sexual relationship to experience life to the full, as if somehow we're incomplete without it. Married people will testify that's not true. (laughs) We might look to our spouses to satisfy us, but sooner or later we're going to end up disappointed and resentful if we do that, because we've forgotten that a sinful human being can never satisfy us. Marriage doesn't lessen the amount of sin in your life, it compounds it. In any case, our spouses will end end up crushed by an unreasonable weight of expectation if we look to them for our deepest satisfaction. Marriage cannot bring life to the full. But if not marriage, we end up looking somewhere else. Our hearts are frankly idol factories. As I mentioned before, for me, this I often look for the... the, the the, the, the appeal of living in a beautiful place, in a place where I feel like I'm at home, even though the Bible tells me I'm never going to feel at home, this side of glory, because I'm in exile. And it can be a whole host of other things. Perhaps it's your career and the prospect of advancement, of a growing reputation, of a growing standard of living. Perhaps it's your kids' achievements and affection for you. Perhaps it's even thinking, if only I could just find the right church. One where I actually fit in without all the quirks and the little things and rough edges that annoy me. Then I'd be living life to the full. 
Where do you feel that pull most? Jesus invites us to come back to him. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. And this is a picture of sheep lovingly and gently led by a kind shepherd. There's no sheepdog here nipping at the heel because that's not how Middle Eastern shepherds do it. They, they call by their voice. This, these are sheep who are safe and secure when he leads them out, when he leads them into the sheep pen and who have spacious and rich pasture when he leads them out. It's a picture of Jesus as the only way into security and satisfaction for our souls. So whether or not you're a Christian, the invitation is to come and to keep coming back as often as you find your heart straying and looking elsewhere. Listen to his voice. Hear in the word. Let him woo you back. Don't give up on church this winter. However dissatisfying online services or the restrictions of these gatherings are, keep coming to the place where you will hear his voice through preaching. Don't give up on reading the word for yourself, even if the best you can manage is five minutes a day listening to what, reading one of the Gospels, or maybe just listening to David Suchet reading it to you. <laughs> and don't give up on home group or those other relationships with Christians that encourage you and nourish you, who are also means through whom Jesus speaks to you. If you are kind of new or you feel like you're on the fringes of church, Please, please seek out those relationships as a matter of urgency while we're still allowed to meet up for coffees and things like that. And for members of the church family who feel better connected, ask yourself, how can I help others become better connected? How can I reach out to them and share my time with them so that they can hear Jesus' voice too through fellowship? We will not find life to the full anywhere else. So come to Jesus. Keep listening to his voice this winter so that he can lead you into those rich pastures, that place of security and contentment for your souls. Let's pray. I'm going to just give a 30 seconds or so for reflection and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the gateway into life and fullness of life. And Lord, our hearts crave that fullness. And so often we don't find it because we look in the wrong places. And Lord, we want to ask for your forgiveness. And we want to pray that through this coming week, through this winter when there is so much that would discourage us, so much that would draw us away from you. Please, Lord, help us. Lord, grant that we may hear your voice again and again this winter. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.